Hey, and welcome to Parkview On The Go. I'm Nathan, the online pastor around here, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. If you're new to Parkview, let me tell you what we're all about. We're a place where regardless of your background or your story, you can take a step toward God. And over the next hour or so, that's my prayer for you, that you would take a step from wherever you're at today, closer to where God wants you to be. One of our highest values is to develop the next generation and to help them become the Jesus followers they were created to be. One of the ways we do that each year is through a huge summer experience called Summer Jam. It's like vacation Bible school on steroids, and it's for any kid first through fifth grade. If you live close enough to a physical campus to attend, we would love to have you. You can find more information at parkviewchurch.com slash summer jam. And if you live far away or you can't visit one of our campuses for whatever reason, check that website for resources that you can use with your family at home. Listen, each and every week, Parkview reaches thousands of people with the love of Jesus, both online and in person. And that only happens because of your generous support. If you're someone who financially supports the mission of Parkview, thank you for entrusting God with your resources. It's incredible to see everything that he is doing both locally and around the globe through the ministry of Parkview. If you'd like more information on how to give, go to parkviewchurch.com give. Thanks again for being here today. Enjoy the service. We are really glad that you're here. We're really glad that you're here online, uh, New Lenox, and uh, at Homer Glen, and at Orland Park, and I'm not preaching today, which is really hard for me. You've got to understand. I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm, I've got to be gone, um, but uh, every once in a while, I, I'm here anyway, but I've got to bring in somebody else, and it's hard for me because I like to talk. I, I, I don't know if you know that. <laughs> Um, and, and, and yet, um, the reason that I do that is because I believe that you need different perspectives than mine every once in a while. You know, I talked about the book of Revelation several weeks ago, and different people have different views on the book of Revelation. Uh, I don't think Caleb does, but it doesn't matter because he's not going to talk about that. Other people have different views on politics. Other people have different views on everything, and they also bring a, uh, a different perspective because they came from a different place. Now, uh, Caleb and I came from kind of the same place. We, all, we, we went to the same Bible college even and, and all those kinds of things. But um, his background growing up was so uniquely different that it gives him a chance to preach from a different perspective. So uh, today, I just want you to help me welcome my friend, Caleb Kaltenbach. He's going to preach for us today. We're glad to have you here, buddy. Well, how are we doing, friends? Are we doing good? Yeah. That was sad. Um, we're going to try that again because it is a, a great day. You woke up, okay? The Chiefs um, won the Super Bowl the year before last. Uh, we're singing songs to God. How are we doing today? Good? Yeah. All right. Hey, uh, wherever you are, wherever you're joining us today, either live, either live streaming or after the fact, listening or watching, we are so glad that you're here. Um, just to let you know, if it's your first time, it's one of my first times here. I've been here like two or three times, so we can be new together. And if I lived in this area, this is a church that I would attend because this is a place where it's okay to not be okay, but we all join together and we all follow Jesus. We don't ever leave anybody behind. So I hope that you keep on... 
checking this place out, and I hope that you keep on looking underneath the hood and, and kicking the tires. And I love Pastor Tim. I love Bill Brown. I even love Casey Tigret. And you know what? Believe it or not, I love Todd Clark, too. I really do. Um, I've always told Todd, you're not the eye candy that I am, but still. I mean, I love your team, and I hope that you love them as well. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about me. Um, I live in Los Angeles, California, because I enjoy not having any money and giving away to the state, but that's a whole other sermon. And I'm there with my wife, uh, Amy, uh, who is a muy caliente Latina. And in her wildest dreams and imagination, she had no clue that her knight in shining armor looked like a cross between Gru, Dr. Evil, and Uncle Fester. I mean... <laughs> This is what she wakes up to every morning. She's a lucky, lucky lady. And, and then uh, we have my son who is 14 years old, Joel. We have my daughter who's 12. And so uh, we live out there. My wife is a Christian counselor and I'm a pastor, I'm an author, and I also help churches. And before I tell you about that, which I'm not really gonna tell you that much about that, I wanna tell you a little bit about you know, my story, just the, the brief synopsis. So I'm originally from Columbia, Missouri and Kansas City. My parents, uh, you know, when they, when they had me, uh, they actually, we lived in Columbia, Missouri, and they were both professors at the University of Missouri, Columbia. And when I was two years old, my parents divorced and both of them went into same-sex relationships. Now, my dad was more in the closet, but my mom, on the other half, uh, she was in a 22-year monogamous relationship with a woman, a psychologist named Vera, and they moved to Kansas City, and, and basically, they, they, they were activists. They were together for 22 years in a monogamous relationship until Vera died of cancer in 2005. But I was raised my whole childhood in the LGBTQ community, especially the community within Kansas City, within the Westport area of Kansas City. And so that's where I grew up in, and I grew up with my mother and her partner Vera taking me with them to um, house parties and activist events and pride parades and campouts and, 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 and clubs and bars. And I remember this one pride parade that we ended up going to. Um, when I was uh, in elementary school. At the end of this parade, there are all these quote-unquote Christians on the street corners holding up signs saying, God hates you, turn or burn, no room for you. And if that wasn't offensive enough, they, they sprayed people from the parade with water and urine saying, this is what Jesus really thinks about you. Now, I don't know how you would react in that situation, but I looked at my mom, and I still remember her answer today. I looked at her, I said, why are they acting like that? And she said, well, Caleb, they are Christians and they hate gay people. If you are not like them, they will not like you. And so I grew up just not liking uh, Christians at all. I, I, I made fun of Christians growing up. I just was like, man, I never want to be a Christian because here's my thought, if, if this helps. This is my thought. If Christians are this bad and Jesus is their, is their leader, I can't imagine how awful Jesus Christ is. That's exactly what I thought. And so by the time I got to high school, I got invited to this Bible study you know, uh, when I was 16, four uh, high schoolers, and I thought this was going to be perfect. I'm going to go and be a pretend Christian and uh, dismantle their faith, and that worked out real well, as you can tell. <laughs> it was great. And I showed up. At the age of 16, I had never stepped foot in a conservative Christian household, evangelical household, or even a, a Catholic household for, for much less. And I walked in there, and it looked like these people had raided a Bible bookstore and had just dropped it in their living room. And if your house looks like that, great. I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying to an unchurched, unbelieving 16-year-old, I was like, why do these people have framed pictures of animals they don't own, like lions, with Bible verses and a sheep 
Like, I didn't get that. But they even had Christian breath mints. Do you guys know we have our own breath mints? They're called testaments. Some of you are like, huh? Just Google it later. You'll get it. Just let it pass right now. You can find out later on. And then my friend comes up from, you know, the basement saying, ah, we've circled up together. You want to join us? And I thought, oh, this is the beginning of a horror movie. I'm not even going to make it past the end credits. What good happens in a basement? And so we go down there. They tell me, hey, you want to turn to 1 Corinthians? I can't find it. So I read a verse out of 1 Chronicles about some dude getting impaled. It just went downhill from there. But the more I studied, the more I realized that Jesus was not like all of the Christian crazies, or dare I say, the homo sapien crazies. Like, Caleb, don't use an offensive word like that. No, homo sapien means human being, okay? Chill. Because I just, I just think humans are crazy in general. Like, Caleb, that's mean. No, it's not. Go on Facebook. In general, people are crazy. I, I just believe that. Why else would we need Jesus, right? If you repented and following Jesus, you had to admit you were crazy. You really did. But I saw that Jesus was different, that he had very deep and, and, and very personal theological convictions, and he had expectations for how his followers should live their lives and treat other people, but he also had relationships with people who are nothing like him. And I love what Pastor Andy Stanley says at North Point Church in Atlanta. He says the people who are nothing like Jesus liked Jesus, and they liked him back. And I was like, I can get on board with that. I, I don't want the picture of the sheep, but I can get on board with that. And I started to study what the Bible had to say about just Jesus and everything. And I became a Christian, and I didn't let my parents know. It was a CIA covert baptism. And then, you know, I had to study what the Bible had to say about sexuality and marriage and intimacy and so on and so forth. And I came to this conclusion. This is my conclusion personally that I still hold. You know, actually, I came to two conclusions equally. And the first one is this, that God designed sexual intimacy and affection to be expressed between one man and one woman. Like, I still believe that today. And my belief is based on the Bible. And if there's anybody that's wanted to get out of that belief, it's me, but I can't because it's not there. But I also believe in this equally, that a theological conviction is never a catalyst to devalue another human being. Those got to go hand in hand together. That if your biblical beliefs allow you to treat somebody different, I don't know what you believe, I don't know who you're following, but it's some kind of Frankenstein version of Jesus. Because like the Apostle Paul said in Romans 13, 8 through 10, that loving your neighbor is fulfilling the law. And so I had to tell my parents, and I was nervous. You're like, Caleb, why? I had to come out as a Christian at the age of 16 to my three activist gay parents. You know what they did? They kicked me out for a while. I didn't mean to make you feel bad if you laughed beforehand, because it is funny. You can still laugh, trust me. And you're like, I'm not going to laugh now. But honestly, it, they, they did. And people are like, why? Because they're humans, and humans naturally fear what we don't understand. And we go into fight or flight mode. And so here's what I want to help you do today, okay? And, and hopefully, even if you're not a Christian, this will be pertinent to you. I want to help you learn how to empathize and relate with people who are not like you. Learn how to empathize and relate as a human, but especially as a Christian. I want to help you keep influence because you want influence in somebody's life because the more influence you have, the more weight your words carry and the more they will turn to you when life hits the bottom of the barrel. So 
How can you keep influence with somebody who is in a relationship that you don't understand, that you don't agree with, that you'd never be in? How can you keep influence with somebody who voted for the other candidate? That, now it's not funny. <laughs> How can you keep influence with somebody that operates from a different moral ethic than you would? How can you keep influence with somebody that is dating that person over there, that works at that corporation that you would never work at, that does that job? How can you keep influence with somebody like that? And that somebody might be in your house, you might be living with them. That could be your kid, that could be your husband, your wife. It could be your, your brother, your sister, or whoever. How can you keep influence with a Raiders fan? Seriously. <laughs> Do you want to? That's a whole separate sermon. We'll address that when we talk about Revelation. Anyway. What I really want us to do today is I want us to go to a time in Jesus' life where Jesus had to tell a parable. Now, now, a parable, just so you know, it's a story that Jesus told, and usually God is in the story. Usually the people who are listening to Jesus are in the story, and it's a, it's a story that Jesus told that is fictitious, but it has one big point, and everything is exaggerated in a parable to emphasize that one big point. And we're going to turn uh, to this time in Jesus' life where he tells this parable, and in this parable, I think that he's going to give us a principle and then some sub-principles that will help us learn how to love people who are nothing like us, people that we don't understand, people we don't like, how, how to keep influence with people so that we can make a difference in their life when it matters, because the crux of your life takes place in two places, in your head and in your relationships. And so, if you have your, your Bibles or your mobile devices, you can turn to Luke chapter 14, okay? If you don't, that's fine, because we're going to have the words right here, and, um, and you can just read along, and I'm going to read them to you. So, it should be fairly easy. So, let's take a look at Luke 14, beginning with verse 16. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. Now, let's just stop right here. First of all, Jesus is telling this to a first century world where most of the people actually lived in a one-room house, okay? And this guy's going to have a feast. He sent out many invitations, meaning he has many rooms. We, all, we know he's wealthy because of that. We also know this individual is wealthy because this person has paper or papyri. People back then didn't have papyrus, and so they weren't able to write invitations. This person does. This person even has couriers or, or a servant or many servants to send out invitations. So first of all, we know that this is somebody that you would want to go and have dinner with, okay? Let's look at verse 17 and following. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guest, come, the banquet is ready, but they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. And another said, I just got married so I can't come. Now, let's take a break from the sermon. Break. Is that okay? Tangent. This is free advice. Like, you don't even have to tithe to get this advice. If you invite somebody to a party and they tell you that they can't because they've got to go take care of five pairs of oxen, they're lying. <laughs> they don't like you. That would be like you inviting me to dinner and I'd say, I can't, I've got to wash my hair. You would get the hint real quick. People listening to Jesus, when they heard this, their, their jaws would drop. They're like, are you serious? That, that's, what, that's what they said? 
Because back in the first century, everybody he would have sent invitations to were very wealthy. I mean, the economic classes were like wealthy class like this, middle class like this, and then poverty, lower class, no class, were all the way like this. And so you stayed within your economic group. You did not break from your economic group. And to get in a message like this means that everybody you were friends with have told you, no, we don't like you, we're not coming. Like, you would want to go. Why would you not want to go? You know this, what this would be like? If the Queen of England, I don't know if you like her or not, I don't know why you wouldn't, what has she done to you? <laughs> but if the Queen of England called me and said, Caleb, I want you to come Stay at Buckingham Palace and eat dinner with us. You know what I would say? I would say, Liz, I'm in. <laughs> I'll be right over, right? You would go. Why wouldn't you go? But these people said no, and that just shows the disdain. So let, let's take a look at verse 21. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, this was taboo. Because you did not cross economic classes back in the day. That's not, that's not what you did. You stayed within your economic class. And when he is saying this, he's saying basically, go to the middle class and go to the people who are in the alleys and they have no homes and invite them. And by the way, in the original language, when he says, invite the poor, it can mean people who have no money, but it can also mean people who feel like they have very little value. Do you ever feel like that? Have you ever been there before where you just kind of feel like you don't have much value? Maybe last year did that to you? When, when being alone just kind of starts setting in and you don't hear from so many people so much? The crippled can also mean those who, who, are, who, have, who have disabilities, who have been hurt. It takes time for them to get places. You ever feel like you're slow and everybody's moving faster than you? Maybe you are the opposite. Maybe you feel like you're moving faster, everybody's telling you to slow down, and in that way you feel crippled. The blind right here, that can mean blind, not able to see. You know what else that can mean? Slow to discern. You ever felt like it takes you a little bit more time to figure out things than other people, to learn things? Maybe you don't feel like you can participate in all the discussions. And then the lame, those who were born with disorders and disabilities and so on and so forth, and you have felt shunned for a good part of your life. Here's what I want you to know when it comes to this. And again, this is a side tangent, okay? This is free advice, okay? Jesus is inviting you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, he's inviting you to the table, to the banquet. Out-of-place people always have a place with God. There's never a time when an out-of-place person is too out-of-place for God. Actually, the more out-of-place, the better. That's the way God looks at it. And, and again, when people heard this, they, their jaws would have dropped when, his, when the master's friends said, no, we're not going to come. But when people heard Jesus say this, their jaws would have hit the ground. They would have said, oh, no, there's no way that would ever happen. Nobody would be that rude. It says in verse 22, after the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. Now, dude and dudettes. Let's just stop right there. 
In these towns back then, you could have anywhere between 100 people living to 2,000 people living or whatever. So let's just go, say there are 1,000 people living in this town. This guy still has room for 1,000 people in his house. I don't know anybody like that. You're like, well, I may know somebody like that. No, you don't. No, you don't. Not even today. No, yes, I do. No, you're lying. You don't. I mean, comfortable. We're not talking about the Jerry Jones Coliseum in Dallas. We're talking about an actual house that somebody lives in, which makes the fact that his friends aren't going to come even more insulting. This guy has enormous power, which really lends us to think that maybe those first people that didn't come, they didn't just like him, they were jealous of him. And they were jealous of everything that he had. Why else would they not come? I mean, you don't have to come. I don't want to go to a place like that. You don't have to go. Whatever, okay? Look at verse 23. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. Now, remember how I said at first, Jaws would have dropped, then Jaws would have hit the ground right here. Everybody would have passed out in disbelief as they heard Jesus' story. Because when he says, go to the country, Haines, and behind the hedges, he's saying, go outside the city limits, a.k.a. go to the non-Jewish people. You cross racial and ethnic boundaries. Because the kingdom of God doesn't have any ethnic or racial boundaries or territories in it. Everyone is invited. Now, if you think that it does, first of all, I don't know if you're going to heaven. Good luck with that one. And if you do go, you won't like it at all. See some sour faces here, so let me keep on preaching on this. The more sour faces I see, the more I preach on it, so just hear me out on that, okay? Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 It says that before the throne of the Lamb was every tongue, tribe, and nation. There's no place for racism in the kingdom of God. Racism is evil. It's of the devil. And marginalizing anyone, keeping them out, anyone is evil. Because look at this. Country lane, go back real quick, go back real quick. Country lanes right here, country lanes, that literally means out in this main highways, and then behind the hedges, in the original language, this this paints a picture of somebody who has built hedges around them because they've been hurt, that these hedges are supposed to protect people. You ever felt like that before? You ever felt like you've been so hurt in relationships that you're just done, and nobody understands, and you've been hurt, and you're tired of being hurt, and so you build up these walls. You only let people in so far because you don't know what would happen if you got hurt again. Or you haven't, maybe you haven't been hurt. You're like, wow, if people knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. So I can't be authentic. There's still a place for you. In in God's kingdom, Jesus is saying that everybody is invited. Do you know why? Because grace is for everyone, and that includes anyone. Let me say that again. Grace is for everyone, and that includes anyone. And I thought about if I should do this or not, but then I thought, you know what? I'm still going to do this. Dot, dot, dot. 
even the any ones you don't like or don't understand. You know what really kind of offends me, I'm going to be honest? I'm just going to be like, I figure I shouldn't lie in church, right? It's probably a bad place. You lie at Tim's house, not at church. <laughs> like, I, I don't always like the fact that God likes, loves people that I don't like. That kind of offends me. That ever offend you? Like, no way, Caleb. I, I'm not offended. Okay, you're lying again, but that's fine. I just don't get it. How can God like Bob and Shirley? Have you ever seen them? How can God like Carl? Carl's annoying. Carl's that person at work when you see him walking down, you're going to the bathroom, you take the long way. You get in that conversation, there's no chewing your leg out of that bear trap. You are stuck. But you see everything that one politician did? How could God like her? How could God like him? How could he even love them? That's the thing. If grace doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, you may not understand grace. Grace is for everyone, and that includes anyone, because we all have our anyones. There's not one person in this room that doesn't have their anyone. We all have their anyones, and it may not be a people group, it might not be a type of people, but it might be certain individuals, and those are your anyones. You don't understand how God can love those people. And you're like, well, you know, God loves them, but I don't have to. Uh, Yes, you do. Sorry. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at Jesus. He's the one that said it. Take it up with him. He's the one that said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's the one that said, love those who hate you and pray for those who persecute you. I would have liked it if he would have said, love some of those who hate you. Like, right? That, I like that better. (laughs) Like I, because I can interpret some any way I want. No. Grace is for everyone. If we keep this in mind, that grace is for everyone, because everyone you meet is someone that God created and Jesus died for. Then everybody has the same equal intrinsic value. Period. If you live by this principle, it will change your life. It will change your relationships. It will not eliminate tension. Get used to tension. We'll talk about that in a second. If you don't like tension, this is not the religion for you. But it will change your relationships. So how do we live this out? Here are a few principles I think that we need to do to live this out. First of all, this. Never allow fear from some people to determine the value of many people. Never allow the fear from some people to determine the value of many people. I mean, I think this is so important to say especially after the last election. Let me say this one more time. Never allow fear from some people to determine the value of many. Because, you know, I don't care what people say. Some people are like, oh, fear is a bad thing. Those people are morons. No, it's not a bad thing. God gave you the capacity to feel fear for a reason, okay? If you're out hiking and you see a big rattlesnake, you should be a little startled. You should not pick it up and say, I'm going to name it Nancy. I'm going to put a pink collar on it, and I'm going to cuddle it. Good luck, pal. See you on the other side. <laughs> You're hiking. You see a mountain lion. You should you know, dude, come here. You should be a little afraid. I'm not saying you should run, but you should be like, okay, we're going to pause. Fear is not a bad thing, but fear becomes a bad thing when it determines the direction of your life and it determines the relationships that you invest in. We naturally fear whatever we don't understand or what makes us feel out of control. And so we should lean into the relationship. 
with God's power because he's the one that knows everything and has all control. You see, in this story, people didn't cross economic boundaries because they were afraid of those people who are not like them and what that would mean they would have to do. And Jesus says, no, if you follow me, there's no place for fear. Let's look at the next one right here. Accept everyone, but don't agree with just anyone. Did you know that? Did you know that God commands us to accept everyone? That doesn't mean you have to agree with everyone. That doesn't mean that you have to agree with everybody's uh, personal decisions. You do have to accept, but when I say accept, I mean you, you and I, as Jesus followers, if we are, we are commanded to love people where they are, for who they are, no matter what they've done, we should love them. Now, I understand that there are some people that have really hurt us in the past, and they have harmed us, and they are toxic. And yes, we do need to put up boundaries there, but those people, really, when you look at everybody in our life, those people are few and far between, right? I'm talking about the people that really just annoy you, not the people that are toxic and have really, really harmed you or someone else. You are commanded by God to love everyone to love them where they are, to accept them. But that doesn't mean you have to agree with every relationship they're in, with all of their political opinions. It doesn't mean you have to agree with the decisions they've made in their lives, where they work, or anything like that. But if you are going to follow Jesus, you and I do have to learn how to accept everyone. Next one is this. We need to learn to live in the tension of grace and truth. Now, I told you we were going to talk more about tension. But just like in this story... That, that this master was so loving that he accepted people, no matter if they were Jewish or not, no matter if they were in his economic class or not, his invitation went out to everyone, not just those whom he loved, I mean, who were in his same social class right here. I'm sure when they came to the party, they all didn't agree on everything. You ever been to a Thanksgiving dinner? <laughs> yes. You know why you're laughing? Because you know exactly what I'm talking about. I, would, I want to meet the genius and put Thanksgiving and Christmas so close together. <laughs> there needs to be a buffer between those two holidays. <laughs> Do you see the same people again and again and again? Right? And sometimes they don't leave. Sometimes they're like Cousin Eddie and they just stay. They stay. It's like, get out. But living in the tension of grace and truth, you and I have to do that. There's tension all throughout your faith. Because you know what it's like? It's like a rubber band. If you're all about the grace, but no truth, you're weak and flimsy. You're like a rubber band holding it by one side. There's no power there. If you're all about the truth and the grace, you're still immature. You're going to heaven. See you there. It's going to be fun. But you have no power there. If you're all about the truth, but no grace, you know a lot, but you're annoying. It doesn't matter how much you know if you have no love to show. God could care less. There's a reason why Paul said that people without, with so much pride and no love are like a clanging cymbal in God's ear. Like, I wouldn't want to be that. That would be bad. <sighs> so where's the power? If you say, I'm about the grace and the truth, where's the power? The power is in the tension of the two. You know why we run away from this tension? Because it's uncomfortable. That's why we either go all the way to this side or all the way to this side, because it takes no effort on your part to be all about the grace or all about the truth if you're naturally all about being merciful or you're naturally all about the rules. It takes all the dependence in Jesus on the world to live in the tension between the two. And by the way, 
like there's a name for this tension, it's love. I believe that love is the tension that you feel between grace and truth. And just like I said earlier, it may have been rude, but it's true. If you don't like tension, you might want to get out of Christianity. Because we believe in one God, but the Trinity. Hello. (laughs) Jesus is fully God, fully human. God's in control. We have free will. The virgin birth. Tim brought, Pastor Tim brought up Revelation, so the wrath of the Lamb. <laughs> I have never seen a wrathful Lamb. It'd be cute and funny. Like, like think about it. You have, you have the, the Word of God, inspired of God, written by sinful people. You can still be a good preacher and have hair. Why do we run away from the tension of grace and truth? I'll tell you why. Because grace and truth always has to do with our emotional attachments, our relationships. But yet, that's what Jesus wants you to leverage for himself. All of your relationships. I want you to remember these principles so that you can have influence. And if you have just been like through the ringer and you are trying to keep influence and you have been on the phone and you have called Pastor Tim at three in the morning and you have read the Bible and you just don't know how to help your friend or your family member and you're like, I'm, I, I just don't know what, and you feel like you are just ready to take sides, you need to ask this question. What am I willing to do to keep and build influence with, and then you fill in the blank with that person's name? What are you willing to do to keep, in, keep and build influence with your kid, your grandkid, your niece or your nephew, your friend? If it's Joel or Rachel for me, you know what I'm willing to do? I'm willing to charge the gates of hell with a squirt gun. If it's my kids, I'm willing to do anything short of sinning. And you know what? I know some people judge me. I don't care. Christians judge me all the time. It's a badge of honor. You know why? If you're going to be criticized for anything, be criticized for what Jesus was criticized by the Pharisees for, for loving people well. Are you willing to be misunderstood by other Christians? To keep influence, to earn the right to be that that phone call or that text that that person makes when life hits the bottom of the barrel and they want your input and you're able to help them? What are you willing to do to keep or build influence? Let me tell you, with my parents, I went to Bible college, moved out to Los Angeles. I moved to Dallas, Texas for three and a half years because we've all got to live in purgatory at some point. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a desolate, more humid than here. Mark Cuban, Jerry Jones, it's a very <laughs> hostile environment. Great places to eat, though. We'll just leave it at that. I, I gained weight, believe it or not, when I was there. That's a whole other sermon. But... My mom and dad, separately of one another, moved down there to be closer to our family. I had never lived within a five-mile radius of my parents for most of my life. And then they said, can we go to your church? And I said, my church? You know what I believe about? They're like, yeah. I said, well, come on over. And they did. And the church treated them well. And about, about two or three weeks before we left to move back to Southern California in the summer of 2013... My mom and dad, separately of one another, gave their lives to Jesus. And I asked them, how did that happen? They did this at the ages of 69, 70. 
And here's what they said. People treated us like people, not like projects. In other words, people loved them, people developed influence relationally with them, and it changed their lives. It changed the trajectory of eternity. It's all about influence. Grace is for everyone, and that includes anyone, anyone like you or me, and even the people that are not like us. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for this parable. Thank you that we can be people who are all about your fame and your glory, and help us to be about that. Help us to repent for the times when we have abused what we have, what we have what we have been given, that that we have abused our calling, that we have abused the blood of Christ by not treating people well, by not loving people no matter what, and help us to be people that love people no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. Help us to have influence, not for ourselves, but for you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. If you decided to take a step toward God today, that is awesome. We would love to help you explore faith even more. And you can start that conversation with us by filling out the short next steps form at parkviewchurch.com slash next steps. Thanks for joining us today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his eyes toward you and give you his peace. See you next time.